Oh, welcome back. Welcome back. Part two, litigation. Uh, yeah, where you're going to listen to us complain? No. 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 Um, <laughs> artfully express the pros and cons of the litigation process. That's right. This is where everything's failed. It's gone straight down the toilet. You've got to put yeah. your gloves on and have a good fight. Yeah, we're going to punch on over our all agreements. It's going to be a do great it. time. Stay all right. tuned. Let's Till go. Box Tuesday. Let's go. Hearthstone Legal presents a real talk of the good, the bad, and everything in between. For all things business and construction law, whether it's navigating a dispute, the QBCC, or guidance on a contract, we give you a rundown of some of the do's and the don'ts. These are digestible chats on topics that you might hear in our office of an afternoon. Daunting? Not anymore. Here's law clarified. Civil proceedings, Jesse. So this is not QBCC related. This is a dispute between, for example, a builder and an owner. It might be a builder and a subcontractor. I, I mean, that's two yes. examples. QCAT or magistrate's court. What, what do you say? What do you reckon? Um, like all lawyers, I say it depends. <laughs> um, because jurisdiction is actually an interesting question, mm. I think. Um, we could really have a podcast about jurisdictional issues and why you would commence in the magistrates or the district court or whatever else. Ultimately, depends on the type of relief you're seeking. If, for instance, you can put a caveat over their property um, and you want to put a caveat over their property and try and force them to sell, QCAT and the magistrates court just aren't going to help you. They don't have the power to make those orders, which means that you're going to go into the district court because that's the only way you get what you want. So even if you've got a dispute worth $7,000, if you're pushing through the district court on an expedited basis to try and sell their property, you're going to be in a certain you're going to be a certain way, certain uh, real quick and you're going to spend a lot of money doing it. Yeah. You're getting into the big league there. Yeah, you're getting into the big league. Most <laughs> of the time though to answer your question in a particularly concise way, um, you would go with QCAT. Uh, QCAT has the jurisdictional power to decide disputes in building matters to the tune of, I think, $2.5 million. Don't quote me on that, but it, it's excessive. And it's probably going to be what you're most likely to deal with as a residential building constru- uh, res- in the residential building construction space. Um, so I would say QCAT most of the time, but magistrate's court some of the time. It also depends on the type of relief you're claiming. Mm. Um, but in any event, it doesn't matter where you commence you're going to have to get ready for a fight that might take 12 to 18 months. Your argument has to be so good, and I mean fundamentally awesome, that you will have a resolution quicker than that. Mm. Or they, your opponent could do exactly what you might have done with that QBCC review insurance and just put it under their table and go, oh, not my problem. Mm. And that might make it easier, but generally speaking, you want to go to QCAT. Yeah. There are some benefits, though, I think, of magistrate's court. One is time, because as we know, QCAT, you know, it's the jurisdiction, but um, there's lengthy delays. The magistrate's court has, and the district and Supreme Court, have some rules, some rules that actually dictate how the proceedings will go. The timeframes are much tighter. If you don't do certain things by a certain time, there are significant consequences. Whereas QCAT is a little bit more little bit more fluid, a little yes. less harsh, if I can use that word. Yeah, because QCAT's designed for 
regular day folks to try and get a crack at Correct. Um, getting some justice in there. Legal representation isn't de facto, and by de facto I mean assumed or guaranteed or mm. whatever it might, might mean in the tribunal. Um, it is something that for building and construction matters is usually not an issue, um, but it's not something that's always immediately granted. You have to seek leave to, to apply for it. Mm. So it's one of those jurisdictions where it can be really low cost if you want it to be, um, but low cost doesn't also mean effective value in the circumstance. No, that's exactly right. And you can self-represent in the yes. courts as well. That system is set up for it. But because of the nature of the rules, the manner in which you, as lawyers we say, would plead your case, yes. it's, it's more formal. There are particular phraseologies that get used. There's a particular way to... Um, tell the court what you want or to deny that the other person should have those things. Yeah, and it's an art form that requires <laughs> a specialisation. Now, we are lawyers, we deal with this every day, we write them ourselves. Not not all lawyers do that. They get barristers and mm. barristers are the guys that are dressed up as Harry Potter. Or women. Uh, or women. Um, <laughs> it's getting a lot better at the private bar now. There's a lot more women going. Um, but it's the people that look like Harry Potter minus the, the wands that you see wandering around. Yes. Um, normally, those the big firms in particular will get those guys in to, to write everything up, um, but we do a lot of that ourselves. Mm. So we understand the way that we construct pleadings and how to put those arguments in a way that is digestible and is easy to, for the court to understand. And there are entire rules dedicated to that to say, you need to be clear you need to be unambiguous, you need to state your point, you need to move on. Mm. And the amount of pleadings we get even from other practitioners that don't really meet those requirements... Oh, my goodness. Uh, ...can be absolutely disastrous. So if we're saying that some practitioners just don't know how to do it, and that's fair enough, um, I wouldn't expect my plumber to know how to hook up all my electricals. Mm. Um, if we're saying that maybe practitioners don't all know how to do it as well as they should, then we can tell you without a doubt in our mind that you probably don't. Mm. Um, which is why if you're going with in a higher court, we strongly recommend that you get legal advice and that you engage lawyers to do that sort of work. Yeah, because it's not just about turning up to the court and saying, oh, I've got an invoice and the other person hasn't paid. Yeah, it, It's a bit more complicated than that. Yes. In your claim, you need to tell the court on what basis you say the money is owed. Yes. And why the other person should be ordered to pay you. So what if, um, as an example, Marty, what if I um, had an agreement with a friend? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, that's already uh, in contravention of our commandments, and, but continue. And he um, he said he'd give me 10 grand um, to help him out and do some uh, editing for him in terms of maybe his podcast or something like that. Oh. So I, I did the editing. Um, sounds it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't exist. Um, and then I said to him, I was like, mate, where's my 10 grand? And he hasn't paid me. What do I do? He hasn't paid you. That is no. outrageous and unbelievable. It is completely unbelievable. How does this happen? Yeah. <laughs> well, right. um, Jesse, I would say to you, well, where's your contract? Oh, there's no contract. Why would I have one of those? He's a mate. Oh, good. Excellent. Another commandment oh. <laughs> disobeyed. Okay, all right. Well, look, as we've said in previous podcasts, it, it's not fatal if you don't have a written contract. Um, you must have had a, an 
a verbal contract and an oral contract. So did you talk to your friend about when you would get paid, how you would get paid in a lump sum, in parts? No, you just said you'd pay me. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay, all right. uh, Marty's reaction, um, (laughs) you can't see, but you can see the visible frustration on her face and it's not a look that I'm unfamiliar with. We hear this all the time, all don't the we? All the time. Like, oh, I trusted him or her, you yeah. know, in whatever. No, it's cool. I just gave him a, 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 an order form or something like yeah. that. It was all good. He's paid all the times previously. I don't know why he hasn't paid now. Yeah. Um, uh. And the the short answer to to the problematic question of what do you do in that situation, you say, look, we can make that claim, mm. but it's going to be pushing it uphill. Mm. Um, and at the end of the day... You don't want to put yourself in positions where you need to spend more money on us to do the thing that you could have prevented earlier. Um, but in the in the vacuum of litigation, it what it means is that you've got a, a bigger task ahead of you in proving to the court that you were entitled to that payment. Because mm. I guarantee you, Jesse, if we filed that claim against your friend and you got to court, your evidence... Because you're going to have to go and sit in a witness box and give evidence before a magistrate or a judge if you're in a higher court. And your evidence might be, oh, we had this discussion at Starbucks and he told me he would pay me. And then your friend gets on the stand and said, oh, no, that's not what our discussion was. I never said that I would pay. I I said something else. I said if the podcast gets 50 downloads, I'll pay you $10,000. And then there's a dispute about the facts and the judge or magistrate or tribunal member has to decide which version of that story they think is most believable and is most backed up by whatever written evidence, in your case zero, um, there is to, to support that. And it can be really complicated. So no matter how many times clients say, I'm right and they're wrong, well, it's not that black and white. Yeah, I'm offended that in this hypothetical you've assumed that I have no evidence. <laughs> no. Oh, well, I'm, I'm terribly sorry that you feel oh, that wow. way. I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> um, but in, in piggybacking off that point, if it's my word versus uh, their word, um, what in our court system is the evidentiary proof? Like what do I need to do to get me over that line? Well, I mean, if you don't have any documents, it makes it very difficult because then you have to look at whose evidence is most credible. What other things you might say, oh, I specifically remember it because it was my cat's birthday that day and something that, you know, cements your story in time as the most credible version of that story. Yeah. If the other person's a bit janky and, but oh, oh, yeah, I think I said that, and then five minutes later they change their story a little bit, those sorts of things come into play. We had a matter many, many years ago where I have no doubt in my mind that the client's instructions were correct in terms of the fact that he was owed money by this particular person, but he was the worst witness, the worst witness, changed his story, couldn't recall things properly, would say something and then when a a proposal or a proposition was put to him to suggest something in the alternative, he's, oh, well, maybe that happened. Like just, it just went straight down the toilet. And it can be quite hard, right? And and he lost. He lost that because the judge 
just could not satisfy himself that he was a credible person telling the truth in that particular moment. Yeah, and it, it, I've seen it happen um, in in particular matters, and it's hard because as as lawyers, we know what examination and cross-examination looks like at the hearing. Mm. And the reason why we're not really talking about it too much in this podcast, uh, for the exception of this point, um, is because it's an entirely separate process and there's books and books that have been written about it. But essentially, you're at first asked to tell your story in a nice way by your lawyer. Yeah. And we're not allowed to coach you. It has to be as organic as possible. Um, It needs to come directly from the horse's mouth because it's meant to be a truthful recollection of what what you've been saying the entire time. And then you get the opposing lawyer. Mm. And the opposing lawyer in these sorts of matters is trying to do what we call a ring fence. They have a point that they need to prove that you're wrong on these particular A, B, C, D and E's. Um, Which means that they ask you a series of questions designed to get you closer and closer to the conclusion. Now, the best lawyers, you won't even know that you've stepped on a landmine and blown (laughs) off your leg. Mm -hmm. You won't know. It's impossible. Um, But for most parts, they realise when their leg's missing because they've just answered a question that they should never have answered in the affirmative to. Mm. Um, But we can't tell you that before it happens because while we know what might be asked, we don't know for certain and it would be illegitimate for us to turn around and try and twist a story to Mm. suit our own narrative. Uh, It needs to be your narrative. But at the end of the day, those self-implosions can be avoided if you do the back-end stuff that we've been talking about correctly. Yes. And we would prefer you never get to a witness box um, at the end of the day because it can tank your case if you're not believable or yep. credible. And, and clients or potential clients, anyone listening to this podcast, do not be offended if in the initial stages of talking to us, we ask you some questions that might feel... A little bit insulting. Oh, yeah. That might feel a little bit rude or presumptuous because we are testing that story. It's not because we don't believe you, no. but it's because we're trying to understand <clears throat> where are where are the holes, where yeah. are the problems. Oh, you don't have a written contract. Well, what do you have? Tell me yes. the conversation. It, you know, we're trying to figure out and close up as many of those gaps early. Yes. It's our job to also be devil's advocate and think about the other side. Well, of course. But our first duty uh, as solicitors is to the court mm. and the proper administration of justice, which means that when we put our foot forward, it needs to be the best one. Yeah. And that can often mean that we're interrogating our own clients on the basis that we needed to make sure that what we're saying is true, correct and accurate. Because the last thing we want to do is get that to a final hearing. We have missed a very clear and obvious issue in the case and the case completely busts apart. Mm. Um, and while we're very lucky and that it's very rare that that sort of thing will happen, um, it can happen. It does happen. And, and it does happen in circumstances where the client has only decided the morning of to tell us about an issue that they did or didn't agree to. Mm. And what we say to people is, you know, we want you to treat us the way that you would treat people in your close circle. We're obligated not to disclose things under our professional privilege. We won't tell the other side things that might be detrimental to your case. If you tell us things that are detrimental, I'll use murder as an example. Murder is always a fun one and everyone loves a good crime story. Mm. If if Marty, you came to me tomorrow and said, Jesse, I need you to represent me, I've 
killed my husband. I'd be very sad about it. I probably wouldn't be able to take it because I like your husband. Um, <laughs> mm, I like him most days. <laughs> but you've, kill, you've killed your husband right Sorry, husband. <laughs> and you, you've just told me that, right? Mm. You, you've admitted to doing that. Do you know why? I just want to say because he listened to our podcast and he didn't like it. Oh, how oh. rude. It's not true. Love your husband. Keep going, uh-huh. Jesse. <laughs> um, but if you came to me and you told me that, then if I was running a defence at your original, uh, your eventual trial for murder, I could not tell the jury that you didn't kill them. Mm. Because I know that you did. But what I can do is I can point out all the evidentiary issues with the fact that they never found the weapon. Marty's a smart woman. They never found the body. So smart. So smart. <laughs> Dissolved it Walter White style. <laughs> um, so... In using that, there are other options that you can take, but it's better to know, in in my view at least, at least in this space, especially in residential construction, it's better to know everything that's going on mm. because we can't advocate for you in the in your best interests if we don't know what your best interests actually are. Yeah, I'd definitely rather know about those skeletons right up front. Yeah, like for sure. Treat us like the. Treat us like the partner that you wish you could be as open and forthcoming as you possibly could. Yeah, that's we, right. You're paying us. We don't we don't have a vested interest in whatever it is that you're trying to hide from us. Yeah. We would prefer to know. Absolutely. So so I guess wrapping that part up, civil proceedings, you've got a claim. You can choose to file in QCAT or the Magistrates District Supreme Court. Yeah. We'll talk to you about the pros and cons for both and help you make a decision. We'll make a recommendation. There's a filing fee usually. Yep. You file your claim. The other side responds. Usually there's a period of time where you exchange some documents. There's lots of opportunity for mediation and resolution. And if all else fails, you go to a hearing, you give your evidence, you get an outcome. Well, that's a time. I, I never would have thought that my oral contract could have gone awry in such a way. No, and sadly for our listeners, Jesse. We're going to have to wait till the third part of this series to find out what you're going to do. Yeah, well, we'll, I guess we'll find out next time. Looking forward to it. Chat then.